Well, church family, if you have your copy of God's Word, let's open up to the book of Exodus, chapter 32, uh, is where we're going to be this morning, and we're going to walk through the entirety of the chapter, and it's a long one. We're going to cover quite a bit of ground. Um, As you well know, uh, tomorrow we get to celebrate uh, 4th of July, and uh, the 4th symbolizes a lot of different things to, to lots of different people. Uh, Primarily, uh, we would be grateful for it in the sense of we are grateful that we have freedom and can celebrate that freedom and to do all the things that we can do. We we live in in a terrific, though not perfect country. We live in an even better state that we celebrate uh, as well. And there's this tension, I think, that sometimes exists within church life. And how we are to approach holidays like this, and what I mean is, is for 17 or 18 years, I've wrestled with this this tension that exists between primarily older generations and how they would uh, want someone to be respectful towards the 4th of July and how they would honor it. And we've all been a part, perhaps, of those programs where we've seen that. But then you have the younger generation, the 40 and, and below, that, that sort of uh, don't really seem as patriotic, if you will, as the older generations. And so the reason why I think that's important is because of what we're going to talk about today with these golden calves that exist within Exodus 32. You see, it's okay and it is permissible to be grateful for the country and the state that you live in. It's okay to be patriotic and and to honor our our country and military heroes and veterans. Those things are are good and and they're worthy and and they're noble. But, But here's the thing that some churches don't quite get is when we begin to elevate that patriotism over into the neglect of the gospel of Jesus. And so our mission, our goal is to make sure that that we put the first things in the first places, that we make our lives and our ministry and our mission, our church, that we are first and foremost about the gospel of Jesus. And just because we are about that, it doesn't mean that it's at odds with being grateful to live in the land that we live in. And so we can hold those two things together in tension, but, but our focus and, and our mission is, is the gospel of Jesus. You see, in Exodus 32, the Hebrews forgot what the main thing really was. And they began to do something that uh, was, was quite horrendous and quite atrocious. And if you're familiar with the pa- passage at all, let's pick up reading in verse 1, beginning in Exodus 32, where God's word says this. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron. And they said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Moses goes up to the mountain, he disappears, and the people, the Hebrews are there, and like, we don't know what's happened to Moses, we don't know if he's coming back or not, this man who brought us out and delivered us. So Aaron, in verse 2, said to them, take off all your rings, all the gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool, and he made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel. 
These are the the ones that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And so they rose up early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So a couple of things are, are happening in these first several verses. Moses disappears. The people began to to wonder if their leader is actually ever going to come back. They began to forget rather quickly that it was the Lord their God that brought them out of the land of, of Egypt, that delivered them from the heavy hand of Pharaoh. And so what they wanted to do then was they wanted to fashion their own gods. One theologian put it this way, that our hearts, deep within our hearts, are little idol making factories. And we are really, really good and really talented at coming up with things other than the Lord our God to worship. You know, that second song that we sang today, there's a part on that bridge where he just says, you have no rival, you have no equal. And sometimes that's hard for me to to say because I know that deep within my heart there are rivals that exist that are at odds with what the Bible teaches. They're at odds with the God of the Bible that I serve. And so I'm constantly going back and forth, making sure that my heart is not producing these little idols over and over and over and over again. But they begin to create an idol as Aaron begins to lead them. As one theologian says rightly about this part, he says, it was easier to get the Hebrews out of Egypt than it was to get Egypt out of the Hebrews. What he means by that statement is essentially this, that the Hebrews had escaped from Egypt and they were being delivered into the land that God had promised, yet they had brought so much of, of the idolatry that existed in the land, they had brought it with them. And therefore there was a rival Therefore, there was, a, there was an equal. But they begin to wonder, has Moses just abandoned them? Has Moses just left them? And so what happens is they begin to experience uncertainty. They begin to experience turmoil in their life. They begin to become uneasy that, that Moses wasn't there to lead them and to guide them. There was this feeling of, of anxiousness that existed there. There was this feeling of fear. You ever been in those places before? We are in rhythms and seasons of your life where where you're full of anxiety or or your emotions are being controlled and you're fearful as you walk because so much is uncertain. And when your leader is gone, and like it was in this case, Moses disappears and he goes up to the mountain. And so all of a sudden they begin to become consumed with, with fear and they get consumed with anxiety. And so they begin to craft their own gods to worship, to soothe the feelings that exist deep within their hearts. And so one of the things that we see is when we are experiencing patterns of fear and patterns of anxiousness, we tend to run to the things that we trust the most in. So here's an indicator for you. When you feel feelings of of fear, when you feel feelings of, of anxiety and anxiousness and those things begin to come up upon you, it's the thing that you run to cope with that feeling. That's what you you worship and that's who you become and, and that's what we run to. And in this moment what they began to do was was they began to run to Aaron to, to make up these new gods. And notice what he says, these were the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
Just an outright, just utterly devastating lie and mistruth that that is proclaimed there by by the second in command, if you will. You see, the Hebrews were used to worshiping cows. They were used to, they were familiar with it. There was something soothing about it when they lived in exile for all those 430 some odd years. It was the calf that they worshiped in Egypt. And what they were doing in this moment is they weren't just rejecting God outright, but they were bringing something to come alongside their version of who God was. And you see, this is what often happens when when we mess with those little idols that exist within our hearts. We're not outright just rejecting him, but what we are doing is we are creating a, a rival, if you will, or something that is on par with God to supplement him when he is not found to be enough for us. And so we end up doing what the Hebrews do. In times of stress, in times of uncertainty, in times of fear, they begin to run to the things that they were the most comfortable with. And you see, we don't necessarily fashion golden calves and run to those types of things and begin to collect gold and and silver, but we do run to different things in our own ways. Some, it could be drugs or alcohol, it could be pornography and those types of things. We we run to medication to cope. If you don't want to be at home, you stay at work all the time so that you can cope in different ways. When you feel threatened physically, You run to things that provide a false sense of security, if you will. The things that bring out and always will bring out the very worst in you and not the best. And so we run to those things. And the Hebrews in this moment, they they ran to those things. Now you can imagine just for a moment that you're one of these families that the Lord has taken and delivered out from the hand of Pharaoh and you're out in the wilderness and you have a family and, you're, and your leader's gone. And, and listen, you're being fed and the Lord's doing some miraculous things. But, but think about wrapped up in this all the, all the hopes and dreams and the wants and the ambitions of the Hebrew people. To live a, a, a decent life, a quiet life, to, to not be nomads and constantly sojourning in and out of, of different lands that are not them. They were, they were families that they, they are in the middle of the desert here, no homes and, and no real jobs. They feel exposed and, and very vulnerable and they were scared. And so Aaron makes the golden calf. And he says, if we go back and look again in verse 4, he says, these are your gods. These are who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then notice what it says in verse 5, absolutely incredible. When Aaron saw this, he then, he builds an altar to sit before it and to worship these false gods. And he says, come bring in your sacrifices. Let us sacrifice to, to these gods who, who we just fashioned and whom we just made up. These are the gods that delivered you. And so they rose up and they had burnt offerings and brought out peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to rose up and to play. Remember, one of the themes that we've seen throughout the book of Exodus is the reason why God delivers the Hebrews was, number one, he didn't want them in desire for them to live in an oppressed place and to be slaves of some tyrant. And so he delivers them, and and the reason that he delivers them, and he says this over and over and over again throughout the book, he delivers the Hebrews so that they would then come and freely worship him. He delivers them from bondage and from slavery so they can walk faithfully with their God. And so Moses disappears, and he doesn't come back. 
And very shortly after that, they had been set free so they could worship the one true God. And no sooner than they are set free, they are reverting back to the places that they left prior to that. Running back to the sin that they knew. The thing that that brought them comfort and brought them peace, they, they run back to those things. You see, idols in our lives are not often replacements for God, but rather supplements to him. It's a little piece that we want over here that I want God and I love him, but, but I, I need these other things to sort of sustain my, my heart and, and to sustain my life. It's Jesus plus something else, whatever that something else may be. Jesus plus whatever it is that, that you run to in those times of stress. Verse 7 goes on and says, The Lord then says to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. They have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it. And they even sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So down from the mountain Moses goes. And he dialogues with his people and he begins to talk. And, and if you go back to, go to verse 13, here's what, notice what Moses does in, in times of uncertainty. What Moses does is he calls upon the faithfulness and the history of their walk with God. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, listen, people, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I promise I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. What Moses is doing in that moment is he, is he speaks to the people. He's, he's reminding them of the faithfulness and the, and the trustworthiness of God, even in the midst of hopeless and dark times. Verse 17 goes on. It says, when Joshua heard the news of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and he saw the calf and the the dancing, Moses' anger began to burn hot. And notice what he says. He has spent all this time writing down on the tablets, sealing the covenant. And it says he, he then throws the tablets out of his hand and he breaks them and he burned them with fire. And he took the remains and he grounded it up into dust and he scattered it over the water. And then he made the people of Israel drink the ashes from the stone. I don't know if you had this going on growing up, but if your mama ever made you eat soap. The funny thing is my mom never made me eat soap, but I was over at a friend's house one time and we used some words we weren't supposed to and she made me eat soap. And it doesn't taste good. And in this moment, figuratively, it's just like this. He, he sprinkles it all over the ground, and he scatters it, and then he makes the people drink it. Verse 21, the text goes on, and he says, Then Moses said to Aaron, Why did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? In other words, Aaron, you are responsible for leading our people in patterns and in rhythms of sin. And then Aaron says, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people. You know that they are set on evil. 
For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. And and for this, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any of you who who have gold take it off. And so they gave it to me and they threw it in the fire and, and out just magically appeared this calf, Moses. Like I tossed it in the fire and then out jumped the calf and we just happened to build an altar and make sacrifices to it and, and we just happened to, to be worshiping for it. But I, I want you to notice something that I think is striking here in this moment about how Aaron speaks about his people. And the way that Aaron describes his, his very own people, he says, you, you know that they are an evil group. That they're a bad group of people. Uh, listen, I, I've made it no uh, secret here. And I told our staff this, and, and I think I've said this from the pulpit here, is, is sometimes ministers can be the worst champions and encouragers for their people. And too often what begins to happen in Sunday school classes and small groups with, with people in ministry or teachers and elsewhere, what we begin to do is rather than speaking about our people with kindness and affection and pastoral concern and shepherding, wanting to see the very best in them, instead we talk about them like Aaron talks about his people. And sometimes we, we often think that if I could just get rid of this person or this situation or this circumstance, it would just get better. If I had new friends, then then my life would be a lot easier. Listen to me, friends. People are not the problem. They are not obstacles in your way. They are not stepping stones to step over and to step around. People are the mission. They are who God has has called us to, to, to serve them and to love them and to not be like Aaron in this instant, but rather to be like Moses and what we see Moses then began to do. Verse 25, Moses saw that the people had broken loose. They'd gone crazy. They were, they were worshiping these false gods. And so Aaron let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and he said, Who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. All the sons of Levi gathered around and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and from the gate to the, the gate throughout the camp. And each of you... Kill his brother, his companion, and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. Welcome to the team, buddy. Each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this very day. I find this so strange and a little bit uncomfortable if we're being honest. Why would God issue the death and and why would he put them sort of through a a trial by fire in this moment? Well, what he was doing and justifying this is he was teaching his people what it means to walk in obedience with him. To the degree to which that, that God will punish sin and there are, there are consequences for sin. And, and when we mess up and make mistakes, they're not just mistakes and they're not just mess ups. They, they, they are sin before a holy and a righteous God. And the Hebrews in this moment, they, they forgot who the, the God was that delivered them. He, they forgot why he had freed them and why he had brought them. They began to neglect his presence and, and they began to just sort of rest on uh, what they could just feel and not necessarily see. You see, they couldn't see Moses. So they let the truth of Moses' absence 
control in that moment, they allowed their emotions to get the best of them. And if I can't see him and he's not here, maybe he's forgotten about us and maybe he has moved on. Listen to me, friends. Let me say this to us, that one of the things that the Hebrews mess up in this moment is they begin to mistake a a feeling for the actual reality of the truth. God had promised them his presence and, and he had given it to them and he had delivered them time and time again, yet they allowed their emotions to get the better of them. They allowed their emotions to control them. I hear well-meaning preachers and teachers sometimes say that really the only thing that we need to focus on is truth. And that, that is a true statement, and, and we can get behind that statement. But, but they'll often have a, have a caveat that makes you feel as though if I, if I don't wrangle and wrestle with my emotions somehow, then, then I'm, I'm all wrong. And so the idea is, is that we allow the truth of God's Word to inform how we feel. And where we get in trouble is when we allow the, our feelings to inform the truth. When we say, well, I, I feel overwhelmed or, or anxious or, or I feel fearful, and we, and we don't challenge that with the truth of God's word. Instead, we allow our emotions to control and to dictate everything that we do. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay to know how you're feeling and what you're feeling. But the catch is, is that we have to make sure the truth of God's word is what informs how we feel. It matters how we think and, and how we process those things. And the Hebrews, in this moment, they forgot about it. Verse 30, the next day, Moses says to the people, you have sinned a great sin. Now I will go up to the Lord, perhaps, and maybe I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord, and he said, notice how Moses thinks about his people. Alas, the people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold, but now, God, listen to the the, the passion and the compassion that exists here with Moses. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Do you understand what Moses was doing in this moment? This was a man who, who deeply loved the people that he was called to serve. And he goes before the Lord and he says, Lord, would you forgive them? And, and if you wouldn't forget them, you, you just go ahead and, and blot my name out of it. Not as a, a, a sticking his thumb up in the air or his nose up in the air towards the Lord, but rather I, I will go in their place. If you will forgive them, Father, uh, you can remove my life from me. This is how much I, I care for them and my concern for them. This is how much I love them. Father, I know you love them as well. But Moses, what the Lord said to Moses in verse 33, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go and lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, an angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. He says, so the Lord sends a plague on his own people this time because they made the calf the one that Aaron had made. What the Hebrews had forgotten in this moment, they just simply forgot the mission. They forgot the reason why God had set them free to begin with, so that they could serve him and that they could worship him. And instead, what they did was they ran to the things that they were most comfortable with, to the neglect of the presence of God and the neglect of the, of the presence of Moses. And they lost their way. And so the Lord 
corrects it and he corrects them quite harshly. And he flicks them to get their attention and to regain their focus and to have their worship and to make sure that he had their hearts. He does some incredible things in this moment with the purpose to bring his people back to him. To communicate the idea that in the kingdom of God, there are no rivals. There are no equals to him. And what he asked for us in return is because of his, through his grace and his merciful posture towards us, he, he calls us to worship and to serve him as well. He has set us free. He has delivered us from sin and bondage and slavery so that we today can freely worship him as he is and as he has shown himself to be in his word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that... You give us men like Moses to learn and to hear. We thank you for your word that it is sufficient, it is authoritative in our life. And so, Father, we, we pray today as your church that we would be a church that wouldn't forget the mission, to see those that are far from you come to know Christ. And so, Father, I pray that today in this room, right now in this place, I pray that you would pluck the idols in our hearts, that you would remove them. And Father, that through your Holy Spirit right now, God, you would speak and you would change, you would reveal, you, you reveal truth to us. Father, would you, would you speak to our hearts now about what we need to confess and, and to be right with you? Would, you? would you reveal those things? Would you forgive us from those things? Maybe you're in this room today and you don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. The Bible just simply says anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. And call upon his name. And you say, Father, would you, would you save me? And through repentance of sins and, and faith, believing Jesus was who he says, this is what it means to have a relationship with him. Would you, would you call upon his name? But if you're here today and you've done that before, and our posture now as a church is that we would allow God to tenderly and, and gently to pull the weeds from the soil of our heart that, that need to be cleansed. And that, like Moses, he would burn up the golden calves in our life. Father, would you help us respond with faith and trust in your goodness and the kindness that you show us in your word. We pray these things in Christ's name and God's people said, amen.